Hi, Stably. Good morning, Jerry. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm feeling pretty festive. Oh. Celebratory. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations are in order. Do you know what today is? Um, I don't. Okay. It is our 50th episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mention this in the, in the, in the pre-production meeting. I'd, I'd ambush you with it. You did. It's your unvarnished reaction. Are, are you actually posting these? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I don't think anybody's noticing, but... Uh, or listening. Or listening. Yeah. No, no, no. We've got listeners. Okay, okay. They should make themselves known to us. With with cash donations, mm -hmm. that's the best or, or Bitcoin. Actually, no, don't just don't, don't send that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stably, uh, we're here to discuss today your pick: uh, the mind and the market, capitalism and Western thought, by Jerry Zygmunt Mueller. Is Zygmunt really his middle name? I, no, I made that. Oh, okay, it's Jerry Z Mueller. Um, tell us about it. Well, he's now my second favorite, Jerry. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, third. He's moved uh, <clears throat> Gerald Ford yes. out of the Pantheon. But um, you and Seinfeld, they're still there. <laughs> so so uh, Jerry Z. Muller is, or was, I think he's emeritus, a uh, historian at American University. Your, old, your stomping grounds, my old mm -hmm. stomping grounds. And um, from what I gather... Like his uh, area of study is uh, like intellectual thought, especially as it relates to uh, you know modernity and capitalism and Jews and like the intersection of those three things. So the book is kind of about the first two, mostly a little bit of the Jews thrown in. Um, really, a little bit of the Jews. Well, you know, it's not. No, it's, I mean, uh, let's be clear, it's fine. It's great even, but uh, I, I thought, like, the subplot of this book, like, the, the you know, the subplot of this book was um, Jews' relation to capitalism and people's reactions to capitalism is basically paralleled by the reaction to Jews or whatever, yeah. That, uh, yeah, okay, that's one, yeah. That's it's one like a major more. subplot. Yeah, it is definitely it's a subplot, but it's like the horseradish. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but, but it was more than a little bit, I guess. It's my okay, point. all right. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm not saying it's too much. I'm just saying it's more than a little bit. What's your problem, Jerry? What's your problem <laughs> with the Jews? Uh, yes. So, <laughs> it is uh, like an intellectual history of, I guess you could call it modern thinking about capitalism, or more accurately, uh, the market and uh, exchange. Yeah, and I'm sorry, yeah. I don't mean to keep correcting you or whatever, no, but like, go ahead. I, I don't think it's modern thought of capitalism. I think it's the, the thought of capitalism throughout capitalism history, which is a short history. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it kind of goes without saying that. Yeah. Um, it, but it really it starts with Voltaire, right? So that's like not mm -hmm. modern. Yeah, and and really, it, it begins with uh, like kind of ancient and yeah. and by modern i mean like you know like 16th or 17th century so you know not okay. like not like not like the 20th century but okay. it starts with like pre-modern ideas of of not capitalism per se but exchange um you know merchant activity trade uh, usury the jews <laughs> uh and the largely negative perception of all of those things by both um christian thinkers 
and um, I guess what would you call them? I mean, he calls them civic civic Republicans, yeah, but like yeah, like, like people political philosophers. Yeah, and people inspired by like classical like Roman republicanism or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So basically, the uh, the princes and the priests uh, they right. don't like uh, merchants so much for all sorts of reasons. Largely, I mean, I guess the the priests say it uh, corrupts your soul, and the uh, politicians, the, the princes, would say it. Um, I mean, it corrupts your uh, civic responsibilities. So mm -hmm. from both sides, uh, it's, they uh, they largely like hate money men. Um, although as time goes on, they realize, everyone realizes that you can't actually survive without people, you know, lending money, uh, even though it's a sin, you can't really survive without trade and merchants. Um, but it seems like everyone does their best to drive these people to the margins of society. And um, this is where, you know, like the, the, this is where like Jews enter the picture kind of, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's unchristian to lend money. Um, it's unchristian to do a lot of things that, you know, people realize they really need. So to solve that particular problem, a lot of authority figures and authorities, both, you know, religious and uh, political, secular decide like, we'll let the Jews do this because they're not, not really human anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, like they're already going to hell. So it's fine. Um, so we'll borrow money from them. We'll let them run banks and uh, lending institutions. And um, the Jews are happy to take this bargain. Well, happy maybe, but like the Jews take this bargain uh, uh, partly because they are excluded from everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have like little choice, um, but yeah. also it, it turns out to be a really good fit with their uh, culture. Yeah. So it it does. It does fit with their culture somewhat, I think. But and also, by, and by that I mean, God, this is going to go be ahead, so Jerry. No, no, keep talking. And by that I mean that they it's have, all recorded. <laughs> uh, that they, that, you know, they are transnational. They have a common language and a common code, right? A common law, and so it's just, it's just like lends itself to international trade and banking, right? One could say unrooted cosmopolitan. Uh huh. Uh huh. I see you, Jerry. <laughs> um, it, perhaps, but I think the larger, uh, I think that it does allow them to prosper. Yeah. It seems like this is what allows them to prosper in these businesses, but <clears throat> essentially it's because they're so hated. It's like, we can't hate you anymore. So we'll let you do this thing that is like guaranteed to send you to hell because right. you're going there anyway. And it allows us to every once in a while, if we owe you too much money, uh, kill all of you and right. steal all your money. Uh, it allows us to use you um, to kind of essentially tax people um, sub rosa without like calling it taxation, which I found very interesting. Um, so that is kind of pre-modern thinking. This is before the enlightenment essentially. And then chapter two on is kind of a historical progression of what essentially uh, like philosophers and other intellectuals, not not really economists per se, like there are several of them, but it's not just economists. It's what people, uh, the great minds have thought about capitalism, but really it's like what they think about trade and um, merchants and exchange and that sort of thing. Um, it, capitalism yeah, is definitely it, important, but it's it's a larger, it's like a the, larger overview. The world moving from a pre-modern uh, sort of, like a feudal society into a yeah a feudal society where production is done for the sake of consumption to one where production is done for the sake of trade yeah and all of the ramifications and implications therein 
<laughs> Correct. <laughs> Jesus. All right, relax. Uh, and uh, and yeah, and so each of the chapters is centered around one thinker, although a couple of chapters are around like pairs of thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, it, <laughs> so it begins. Uh, I mean, there is, you know, there's a section there on again the pre-modern, pre-modern conceptions of trade, essentially exchange, all negative, basically. Uh, and then the first real um, kind of pro-market thinker to enter the scene is uh, Voltaire. At least this is the person he focuses on. Um, and you know, he so he describes what Vol- Voltaire essentially did, and I don't. I think there's a word for it, but I probably can't find it in my notes. He essentially flipped um, people's conceptions. He flipped of, the script. He flipped the script. Yeah, uh, <laughs> on uh, what the great and the good thought about trade, exchange, even uh, lending interest. Um, all these things that people said were bad. He said, no, actually, they're good. Like businessmen are good, luxury is good, international trade is good. It's religion that's bad. It's the the princes that are bad. It's the aristocrats that are bad, and uh, all these things that you thought were true are, are false. Sounds very familiar. So um, Voltaire, at least, very interesting guy. Seems incredibly obnoxious <laughs> and kind of slightly sinister and evil. <laughs> um, really, kind of avaricious. Very avaricious. <laughs> which, uh, Mueller points out, like it was. I don't. I mean, he he doesn't say it's kind of ironic, but he does bring out the fact. It speaks for this, itself. It speaks for itself that like it's it's actually surprising that the whole business of defending free enterprise got off the ground. <laughs> if this is the guy that uh, started the whole thing going, because right. he was engaged in a bunch of scams. Um, essentially stealing money, uh, ripping people off, shady business practices, like smuggling. <laughs> he seems to have angered every single host that, um, you know, ever welcomed him in, including like English businessmen, French aristocrats, the king of Prussia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, you know, to defend himself was just engage in like blatant anti-Semitism and right. blame the nearest Jew for all the problems, right. which um, I think was maybe even too rich for those people. I don't <laughs> think they, they were like, yeah, okay, uh, sure. <laughs> um, so that was very interesting. Like, uh, and yeah. I think it's, it's a good example of a, uh, like the fairness that the author, Muller, uh, uses throughout the book he he uh, definitely tries to steal man people's arguments he doesn't say like oh this guy was like ugly and fat and smelled and was bad he says you know he explains what these people thought but he doesn't shy away from any kind of like warts uh, especially as it pertains to jews <laughs> uh yeah uh yeah. no he's, he's very fair and i think voltaire not only pointed out that luxury is good and by the way luxury i i think the way the the priests and the politicians, as you say, and the princes, as you say, um, thought about luxury is luxury is consumption basically above your st- your your um, your position. Yeah, your station. Like everyone your has station. a station in life. Yeah, and uh, you're not allowed to get above it. Yeah, very very convenient for them. <laughs> <laughs> and so Voltaire pointed out that what used to be um, a luxury is now a necessity. Right, and how this is constantly happening. Um, and, and not just that he, and so luxury is actually good because there's kind of progress there. Um, but he also points out that kind of pious, the pious frugality that the priests are pushing is bad 
because that's actually poverty. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. 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 So he, you know, this, I mean, it's Voltaire, right? So he's going to like, yeah, he's, and, and Mueller points out that a lot of the appeal was the way he wrote. Like he didn't actually mm -hmm. make arguments. This, this was the, this is why he was so effective. He didn't make arguments. He just kind of said stuff in a very like wonderful way. So it was, you, you had to beat him at his, he was a rhetorician, yeah. Yeah, and his jokes <clears throat> uh, before you could even grapple with like what he was saying. Uh, and what he's saying wasn't necessarily, you know, logical or an argument. He was just saying stuff. And, and I don't uh, think Mueller actually says this, but he, it kind of comes across that, that Voltaire is kind of like the it's kind of like the uh, first intellectual, right? That basically is a man who is kind of has patrons, and his job uh, is to kind of shape public opinion. Yeah, so this is another aspect of the book. It's not yeah. necessarily just a little snapshot of, you know, Voltaire or Smith or Marx, um, as he, as the Mueller points out in his intro, you can't really talk about what these men were saying without understanding like their milieu uh, in which they were living. So, you know, there's always a description of like recent history or recent economic history or intellectual history or something like that. So the Voltaire chapter, I mean, like the first section is called the rise of the intellectual. And he, right. I, I guess he doesn't really say it necessarily, but I think there were maybe others, but he, he does right. say like he was the first modern intellectual because in the past you did have to basically depend on patrons, just like rich, rich old white men giving you money. And Voltaire was one of the first to make his own money. He, from he selling did, his books and shit. He sold his books, he sold pamphlets, he got royalties, he ripped people off, uh, engaged in smuggling and all these other things. But you know, all jokes aside, like he did, you know, he was able to get away from just depending on one person. Um, and right. he became, uh, I mean, basically the story is like he became a businessman. Yeah. Like he was what he was talking about. So right. he had patrons, but his patrons were basically subscribers to his ideas, right? That mm -hmm. like, that would like literally subscribe to his books and pamphlets and shit. Yeah. I mean, and he, it, he definitely got money from people and it helped him get, you know, that was the first rung of the ladder, it seems, uh, the patrons. But he became his own man afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it probably didn't hurt or help that he just alienated everyone that ever gave him anything. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he had to survive on his own. Uh, but he, he lived to like 84. And uh, one of the things that Pilar points out is that towards the end of his life, he, he was like a hypo hypochondriac or at least pretended to be. He right. was constantly talking about his impending demise because apparently back in the day when you lent money, when you, when you borrowed money, you only had to make payments until that person died. Uh, which seems to me to be like a perverse incentive uh, there. But anyhow, so he wanted the people he was lending money to to think that he was long for this world. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, they were basically like annuities, right? So yeah, 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 you yeah. want to find people that are young and or <laughs> on the other side, you want to lend to people who are super old or... No, you, you know, want to borrow from, somebody borrow from yeah. people who are super old because you don't need to pay them back for too long. But yeah, he apparently just played this trick from like the age of 35 <laughs> on where he was going to die <laughs> the next year and just took people's money for 50 years. And, uh, <laughs> and apparently was the largest, one of the largest landowners in France by the time of his death. So uh, turned out pretty well for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, we don't necessarily have to go chapter by chapter, but um, you know, the next the next man, Adam Smith, slightly more admirable, gave away all his money and died, yeah. died without much of an estate. Um, and 
so, so you know the reason I wanted to read this book, right? Yeah. Uh, like, why bother? We're yeah. all we're, we're all kind of generally aware of the story. Yeah, especially you know us. Yeah. We're we're part of the uh, the movement or were the order liberal uh, tradition. Yes, yes, that's the one where the snake is eating its tail. <laughs> is that the one? <laughs> yeah. So we're part of that tradition. Like all these things, none of these things are really new, or they shouldn't be. Right. But I uh, I want a little bit of the old time religion, as I told you. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd heard, I have had this book for years and I've heard of Jerry Muller, like he is like an actual yeah. scholar, like a real, yeah. a real academic, like he is not, he doesn't host his own podcast uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and go on cruises. So um, I thought like, why not? It looked like an interesting concept. So that's, you know, why I wanted to, to read this book. It was a bit of a lark, but it's interesting because you know, I didn't really know that Voltaire was the first person to um, kind of invert the these concepts of like luxury bet. I guess luxury has the same root as like lechery. Mm -hmm. So, like, I didn't I didn't know these things. So that was great. And then as you, as he goes through these other um, thinkers and intellectuals, like we all kind of know Adam Smith, right? It's like, oh, it's mm -hmm. the wealth of nations. And if you're a really smart boy, you know, there's like another book, right? The theory of um, moral sentiments. But he does a very good job of explaining like what did these people actually think? Right. Right. It's not a, I'm going to pander to my readers who are surely, you know, right-wingers. And it's all about like the evil King George or, or whatever. And, uh, and how great um, the free market is. And so like the Adam Smith chapter is a great example. He, he points out, and basically this is true of everyone except Voltaire because he's, he's such a conniving little worm. <laughs> uh, there is uh, a tension in a lot of, especially the defenders of capitalism or the free market, not so much the, like the opponents, they are like the mirror image of Voltaire. They're also little worms, but um, it's very, it was very good. It was very interesting that like even somebody like Adam Smith and you kind of know, like he's not an anarcho capitalist, but it's not just that he thought, the government should build like roads, right? Or harbors. We all like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Like who else was going to do it in the 18th century? You know, he was a proponent of public schooling, right? He was a believer that these, these ways of living, right? Being an entrepreneur basically, or a merchant, like they, they do have like negative or just a worker, right? So like, or, or just, yeah, it's just somebody working in a pin factory. Like that he talks about like, yeah, the um yeah, it blunts like like basically the, the division of labor yeah blunts intellectual and social development yeah it right? can't it, it can't yeah. he, he saw it right like he saw yeah. the, the it was right for that to happen and so he's like well what's the antidote to that well it's 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 public school yeah universal schooling that the yeah. government will will provide yeah and um you know it's not necessarily like a story you would get in a like a rah-rah history of of like the free market or uh, free market thought um, yeah, something else that i you know I, that i don't know if i knew but i stuck out to me is that you know uh adam smith pointed out that the main motivation for men to pursue wealth and their self-interest and all that was status seeking mm -hmm. right uh he says uh that uh, the uh, the root of the attempt to better our condition lay in the desire to be observed, to be attended to, to be taken notice of with sympathy and approbation. It's like you're talking my uh -huh, here my, it is <laughs> my language. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, he, yeah. He, he so yeah so that this tells me uh, contrast some of the other people like come on later uh adam smith was very um self-conscious or, or uh, self-aware right of the uh like he, he could see the pros and the cons of, of what he was describing right exactly yeah so you know it, it's just an example again i don't want to go like chapter by chapter but that is the first one uh, like he's, you know, it's it's a presentation of like a rounded human being and a <clears throat> like yeah. an honest thinker, uh, as opposed to Voltaire. Uh, <laughs> and um, you know, I think you get an example pretty early of like what the rest of the book is going to be about if you're kind of like reading a few chapters and trying to get into it. I'm like, oh, this is this is kind of what it's going to be. Uh, it's also very detailed. Yeah. But you know, I think he handles the organization pretty well. Uh, the book is great. I think what yeah. uh, it was a little, it's just, it's very detailed, as you say. And yeah. this is, it's kind of like reading a dozen little books, a dozen little biographies of people's intellectual development, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a good slog. Uh, yeah. It's like a good run, Jerry. It's like a good those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you don't want to go so maybe we should just mention if we're not going to go through every chapter which i agree would be insane mm -hmm. uh maybe we should mention who the other uh folks are yeah okay yeah so after smith it's uh our good friend uh eustace what is his last name Moser. Moser. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. some crowd uh, so anyway so some of these people are you know incredibly well known like everyone knows who adam smith or Karl marx is right or, or you know our good friend hayek <clears throat> and then he does he brings these people in every once in a while that i think this moser fellow who was like a minor i guess bureaucrat almost like a yeah that's interesting an, he's he's a, yeah he's like an intellectual and a bureaucrat in like westernmost germany like right on the border with the netherlands mm -hmm. um and you know he's writing about how he sees the the market like destroying this what town. he thinks is like yeah. this town this region the way things ought to be like people knew their place and it's all falling apart even though it's a somewhat ambivalent take on capitalism and the market and exchange but um yeah that's 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 the next chapter it was just interesting that like i've never heard of this guy he has a funny no. hat <laughs> uh it's not really anyone you would know about although apparently there's a giant statue to him <laughs> like he is like some sort of minor um person in intellectual history uh, but I never heard. But he's of him. yeah, I mean, but he stands as like the uh, the so he's got Voltaire, Adam Smith, then after Moser, um, Edmund Burke, and then uh, Hegel, and so the, all those other ones are are pretty sympathetic. So he stands kind of there as like the first guy to point out like he's like an anti-universalist. He's like, oh, what's good in life is that you have a, a multiplicity of particular traditions that are shaped by their own histories and that's what makes the world and life good is that diversity multiplicity and that everybody you know has and having uh basically a universal solvent uh, uh -huh. is not good so he's like the first guy to say that right so this is yeah like, yeah yeah so he's right. one of the first like modern i think he yeah, yeah. i think Mullerian says like this is one of the first modern conservatives that actually like accept that the market exists it's a very like melancholy and uh mm -hmm. it's very he's like very sad because he he understands that like it's he's not gonna roll it really something you can stop you can't yeah. roll it back it's too productive like there's you have to kind of do these things but it's just how do you deal with it so the the, the chapter 
uh, like the headings in, in the chapter, the virtue of knowing one's place, <laughs> destroying local culture, creating the poor, and commerce and the eclipse of virtue. So that kind of gives you a taste of like. Yeah, that uh, was interesting. The, the the creating the poor was interesting because it, it comes back in in several spots. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, um, that was interesting, right? Just the fact that uh, with economic development came the fact that there was, you know, people were able to uh, raise their subsistence level or raise, <laughs> raise economic development to the point where everybody was at least a subsistence level and you could have more kids or whatever, but just there. Yeah. Um, and, and that created, it basically created a class of paupers where, you know, right. whereas before they would have just died. <laughs> sure. Know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and and so this was a, a, a you know a whole class of people that were invading his town um, that he didn't you know, that he was trying to administrate right so he didn't know how to deal with them right and then later you know Karl, this is this is basically the who Karl Marx is thinking about as the proletariat yeah and again what's interesting is I mean it really kind of I mean he's writing well about two hundred years ago right it's the mm -hmm. early nineteenth century. So, like, paupers are not just poor. Early 18th fact, century. Is it early 18th? Uh, it's 18 yeah, wasn't it like 18 something? He died in 1794. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah, never mind. Yeah. What the hell am I thinking of? Anyway, like, okay. Yeah, mid. Uh, mid, okay. 18th century, yeah. Yeah, so he's recognizing these things even sooner. Um, but the pauperism is, a, is almost a state of mind, right? I think he's the one that points out that these people are not just poor. And there's all sorts of complicated reasons for like why they're not dying. It's like there's a, a boom in the population because, like you said, people can like survive. They can have kids sooner, so they do. Right. Uh, peasants used to wait until their 30s. They were very unbased. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they would wait until they actually like had enough money to have children, which meant waiting until you're maybe 30. And now you could do it when you're 20, and you're going to have more kids. But anyway, so he points out that like it's not just that they're poor. Pauperism is not poverty it's like a specific mental yeah it's a specific way of life it's a way of looking at things it's rootless it's unsettled you're basically just traveling all the time you uh, make no connections um i mean i guess you have a giant family that you can barely afford to feed but other than that um you don't have anything um whereas before maybe you lived in poverty maybe you were poor but you know you had your community you had your church you had the different estates um maybe you had a guild you know whatever you had these things the, the paupers don't have any of it um so uh, this is a, a common theme in both the pro and the con uh takes is like it's not just about like making money right it's not like i'm i'm businessman i put on businessman hat i go to work and i come home and i am you know reading plato and doing all these things that are um, you know fantastic <laughs> you know, I'm not raising my status in any in any way like that. It's this way of thinking creeps into everything. Um, it affects everyone, uh, whether you want to or not. So that's just like an example. Maybe like one of the first negative examples, because the first two guys are like, oh, it's great. It kind mm -hmm. of makes people frugal and hardworking and delays gratification. Um, this is an example of like, this is how it affects the poor. This is how capitalism affects the poor. Because Voltaire and Smith are largely talking about like middle class people. I mean, Smith does talk about like the division of labor hurting people, but um, 
yeah, it's it's kind of like this is like the seed <laughs> from where all those other uh, critiques grow. Like you said, like Marx kind of takes it up. Yeah. Via Hegel, who actually got the these ideas from Moser, apparently. So yeah. So uh, yep. where are we on? Yeah. So you know we have, we're doing it. Are we're we're going? We're doing. It. I, I think <laughs> no, no. I think it's yeah, like Burke, these are different yeah, ideas. Hegel. Yeah. Yeah. We got Burke. We got Hegel. Yeah, Marx. You got Matthew Arnold. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, interesting, right? Like Matthew Arnold, not an economist. I mean, neither is Edmund Burke or Hegel for that matter. Um, you know, they're like philosophers, they're literary critics, they're, uh, you know, men about town, <laughs> men of letters and things like that. But, um, you know, they all have, you know, as time goes on, excluding like the Marxists, they, a lot of them like make peace with the market, even Hegel. Mm -hmm. who i think everyone everyone like yeah. i think yeah i mean if you know the name you probably assume like he is like a proto-communist or something mm -hmm. or just if you'd know a little bit more you think he's just a super statist which he kind of is right he just thinks that where we're going to locate community is like in the state <laughs> like we're going to have uh bureaucrats basically uh molding yeah. us so yeah i mean i think he uh kind of reconciles himself to the reality of the market and recognizes all the benefits of the market. And I, th and so he thinks that uh, the role of the intellectual uh, is to explicate this to the people so that they can become, you know, reconcile themselves. Um, and then basically through the state, uh, so like politicians being advised by intellectuals um, kind of provide a ballast to all the bad things that come from an unrestrained market, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what he's concerned about with an unrestrained market, which again is, is like a is like uh, uh, a theme throughout, is what he calls bad infinity, which I like when they, when when people like him make up these words. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what that means is it's just that um, uh, the market's creation of wants faster than. Uh, uh, you know, people can uh, satiate them, right? So the, the moment you've satiated, you want that's been invented by the market, and another one has popped up, right? Yeah, yeah the hedonic treadmill. The hedonic treadmill, exactly. Um, and so his solution is basically the family, the state. He has he talked about professional associations, right? He thinks that mm -hmm. if you can get meaning from uh, being a I don't know what professional association is he thinking about doctor, but I guess maybe also like a coal miner. I don't know. Oh, I think uh, he was talking about kind of making, bringing the guilds back and making them yeah. more open. So like the, the Cooper, yeah. the people that make barrels, there's like the tanners, all those people are going to have their. their this seems crazy to me because it seems to me like he, uh, he should have been smart enough to understand creative destruction. So like, I'm not sure. Oh, Jerry! Wow, that's so arrogant. Well, because he like it's not like he, he <laughs> that took another hundred years. No, but the point being that he wasn't uh, advocating for bringing back the guilds in order to arrest progress. That's not what he was trying to do. Right. He was trying to bring back the guilds so that the guilds could provide people a sense of meaning, um, instead of people getting meaning or trying to get meaning from the hedonic criminal that they weren't mm -hmm. that was never going to satisfy them, right? Uh, but like he should have. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that he didn't see that that would be. That wouldn't work. Um, but anyhow, yeah. So he 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 he's reconciled to the market. He's just trying to, um, uh, you know, provide a ballast uh, for what he sees as, as the negative consequences. 
And then Karl Marx just goes, uh, nah. hold my beer, right? Like, yeah. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, like, this is another example of like, is Karl Marx like an economist? He's not anything. Like, yeah, well, he's a philosopher, right? He's a he's a Jewish philosopher, Jerry, uh, <laughs> as they say. So, one thing this book, so you know, I mean, I, I can't say that I've studied Marxism or read mm -hmm. much about Marx. Um, everything, uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of have. I think I know about Marxism, and Marx um, has come. Uh, it's kind of how do I get it? I've learned. Um, negatively, if that makes any sense. You learn from his enemies. Through, I learn from his enemies, exactly. Probably like through osmosis. Exactly. And That's the same as me. Yeah. And so reading this from Mueller is great um, because it confirms all my priors and it makes it even worse. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so Mueller points out that um, Marx was not really a Hegelian in any sense, that he was really a romantic, and that all that Marx did was kind of recast the same old Christian, you know, old church stigmatization of uh, money making and usury and all that into a new vocabulary, right? That that's that's basically what he did, and and the other thing is is that between him and the chapter on Marcuse and some of the other ones, like I guess maybe Lukacs a little bit, you know, it, it just makes me see, how, like I, I I guess I always knew this, but it really puts it like so starkly. And it's unbelievable, like how um, juvenile and sophomoric their train of thinking is. It's all like, well, um, capitalism, you know, or, or you know, uh, uh, the market is bad because it's based on greed. Well, why is greed bad? Well, because it is, and uh, people feel alienated from their uh, from their labor, and when they'd rather, what they actually should be doing is poetry and philosophy well what if they don't want to do that well that's what i want so therefore that's what they should want right like it's just mm -hmm. the stupidest sophomore <laughs> juvenile thinking yeah. and you're like well but like, it doesn't work that way uh labor theory value makes no sense um yes it does like yes, it does now we're going to kill you now we're, yeah and we're going to take like, all your stuff yeah. and it's like you know here's my um you know i'm an intellectual um i don't like my parents because they're bourgeois, <laughs> yeah. therefore, it's like, oh, like, it's really comes down to a lot, uh, really comes down to, to that a lot. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I you know, mean... no, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, it's just an asshole. <laughs> no, but there, no, but there is a lot of that, especially with like, Lukacs, however you pronounce his name. Yeah. Uh, Lowenstein. Um, mm. So one again, the Jews, right? Um, Self-hating Jews, like Marx everywhere. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe they are upset about, like, you know, the plight of the working man. But as as Mueller points out, like, Marx basically came to his conclusions when he was, like, in his 20s. Yeah. And they were based on, like, romantic philosophy and romantic poetry, not not, not Hegel, not really anything else. Uh, it's just kind of like the milieu that he was raised in, which is, like, middle-class German. Like he was again. All of these people are like trust fund babies, yeah. Which I find incredible. It's like yeah. Marx's family, super like. I mean, not super wealthy, but very comfortable. Like his dad wants him to become a doctor. <laughs> it's like, okay, are you like? Is this like a Woody Allen movie? <laughs> uh, and you know, so he or a lawyer or something. It's a lawyer, right? And he, Marx goes to law school, and as soon as his dad dies, he drops out and becomes like a, a lunatic. And Lukacs, like his his parents, are definitely wealthy. Literally, a, a trust fund baby. 
Yeah, and he is literally a Trotsman baby. And even after, like, to jump ahead, Lukács is part of, like, the Hungarian Soviet Republic and helps to possibly, like, almost destroy the country and lead to it being taken over by, like, the far right. His dad, who likely was not uh, exterminated by the Red Terror, still, like, pays to have his son smuggled out of the country just so he can spend the next, like, 50 years, like, palling around with Stalinists. Mm. Uh, but, like, yeah, it's, like, I, that was the only note I really made. It was just a bunch of highlighting. It's, like, oh, these are trust fund babies. Like, they're, <laughs> like, these are trust fund socialists. It's, like, a bunch of DSA types. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, some of them maybe have less excuse, and others have more excuse. But to get back to Marx, as Muller points out, like, this is, like, this is poetry. This is romantic philosophy. Marx does not actually know any economics. And he gloms on to the labor theory of value after everyone else has basically abandoned it. Yeah. Um, and then he doesn't even bother trying to explain what socialism will look like. Yes. That's the other thing that really. <laughs> Which is incredible. Yeah, Which he... is like one sentence in the, you know, it's like Muller says, like, oh, he just doesn't talk about like it's economics. It's not just yeah. him, right? This is the thing that, again, that, that stood out to me that I guess I kind of knew, but like really brought it home for me, is part of part part of the sophomoreism of uh, of these guys is they're mainly anti-capitalist. They're not Marxist or socialist or anything because they never, not Lukács, not Marx, not Marcuse, uh, explain that all is going to happen after the, we overthrow the system. They just assume it'll work out somehow. Yeah. And it's just the dumbest thing. Like there's just no, and, and, the, and the people who follow them, like how are they not, I, I always assumed that there's some chapter somewhere in these guys' books where they say, and this is how it's going to work after. A flow chart. A flow chart or something. But <laughs> yeah. no, there's just nothing. Yeah, it's just a dictatorship of the proletariat. Oh, it's, it's like, like, oh, how does that work? Well, you know, it'll just will. It's like, okay, cool. So yeah, that is incredible. And it's, it's like, okay, fine, like, Marx is busy. Uh, he can't write that <laughs> chapter. Um, but even Lukács, like, okay, like, you were part of a communist government. And then maybe the book he wrote, he wrote that before, before doing that. But I guess it just goes to show, like, he had no, they had no idea how to actually run a government, let alone a factory, right? right? <laughs> and they... I'm sure there were people that had thought this through. I think Lenin did, right. <laughs> at least maybe how to run a state. But um, and there were socialist economists later on, and that sort of thing. But these guys just never did. And um, I yeah, wish I, I wish the, the socialist explored. economists were all trying to figure out how to uh, employ market. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It yeah. Turns out. <laughs> turns out. Yeah. So yeah, that was just incredible, and it was kind of I don't know if he was just being dry and ironic and deadpan. Um, Muller, the the author, was just like, oh yeah, he just never, he just didn't bring it up. No, it speaks for itself. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know where I read this. I think there was like a history of the Russian Revolution, but a lot of the socialists and like Lenin and his his merry band of, of assholes, like when they were in exile, they worked at, they worked as like clerks in a post office, mm -hmm. um, like in Switzerland somewhere. So. I, I think this was Orlando Figas's history of the Russian Revolution, which I never finished. But he he says that like they thought that the way you run an economy is the way that you run like a small provincial post office. It's just that easy, hmm. right? You just have a bunch of clerks and they issue orders and something something uh, communism, right? right? It was like you just we just sit around in an office 
wearing like a little shade on your head and you just tell people what to do and they do it. And that's how, that's how an economy runs, not just like a business, but like, that's how we're going to run the economy, like a post office. And so like, yeah, they were, um, like really ignorant <laughs> psychos. Uh, and it kind of starts at the beginning. Um, I mean, like not stupid, obviously. Right. He, Muller points out like these guys are not stupid people. They were very bright. They read all these languages. Uh, they knew their philosophy and whatnot, but like yeah. just the rage of all, uh, <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's pure rage of all. Uh, it's for them. it's purely who was it that points this out later? I guess it's Hayek, uh, but I guess some other somebody else did too. That it's this is all just resentment. This was, this was, this was uh, yeah, so like Schumpeter, I think Schumpeter, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's but it's it's very strange. So it is resentment, and I think Mueller does a good job of showing like where it came from. He's not excusing it, but with Marx being brought up in like his social circle circle uh, to be like a good middle-class German is to be a dilettante, right? You are right. supposed to write opera and poetry. And like, that's, that's what makes you uh, upper middle-class or even middle-class. That's what marks you out as like a civilized person. And part of his anger, I think was just that capitalism robs people of the ability to do that. Right. Now, whether they want Which to or not, or, or <laughs> I mean, let, let's leave alone, like whether it does or it doesn't. Right. right? Like, do people want to be doing this anyway? Right. Like, is this maybe just a class thing? Uh, whatever, right? It, but you know, it, it does come from a place of of that. It's just like this was just no. This, like, this is what he grew up with and what he liked, so therefore it must be universal. Right, exactly. Um, so I don't know. If this is like a uh, like a very unorthodox reading of Marx or or what, but. You know, it seems seems reasonable to me. Confirms my prior, so I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So maybe quickly, since we are kind of going through order, uh, Matthew Arnold is kind of like what Marx should have been. Yeah. Right. So he really kind of was a Hegelian and a reformer and a reformer, right? Um, um, and he, his point, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, basically, uh, you know, kind of again points out the theme that. Uh, the masses are becoming more focused on the means and the ends, right? Um, like they're pursuing uh, money making rather than what you can do with that money, right? And they're treating uh, something Mueller says that they're treating liberty as a good in itself, mm -hmm. right? When it's somebody for liberty's sake, so you can, you know, the ability to do anything you want, which I think somebody else says. Um, and it's like no, like let's think about what what is the end, right? And and so like like Kegel, he also looks to the state, um, uh, to create the public and you know to the public interest and be the ballast, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and he's also you know he's an education reformer, yeah. kind of like Adam. And I mean Adam Smith said that there should be um, universal education, like that had not happened for hundred yeah. years. <laughs> so he wants to make it happen, yeah. Yeah, and he wants it to, to happen, and he actually like works with people in Parliament, like the great and the good of England, to like make it happen. He is it's very strange, like these people that you know you would read in like a great books course, yeah. right? Like he's like a school inspector. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not exactly what it means now. Like he's not driving uh, like a, a Kia, <laughs> <laughs> going from like rundown suburban school to to rundown suburban school. But it's interesting that like that was his job. And it, it seemed like he actually did it. Whereas like some people had these 
because these weren't these were to go back to one of our other books about meritocracy right like for a long time people had quote jobs but they were just sinecures like you just got paid to do nothing <laughs> whereas it seemed like arnold actually did his job like he mm -hmm. went to schools and tried to like help people uh so that was interesting like a lot of these guys come off as i would say like heroic right mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you, even even though they have to our eyes kind of ambivalent attitudes towards uh the market and like being ultra like they're not libertarians right no they're definitely not so but they are like heroic in the sense that like he wants to help poor people like get a good education not just poor people but like he is he he's i guess he's the first person arnold to use philistines in the way that we use it now mm -hmm. right like you're kind of like a piggish money-making uh like barely human person right right you're you need to focus on the the, the great things in life um <laughs> you are a um oh god what is it? uh oh god americoid what, what is the uh what is it? What is the Nevitz phrase? Uh, Eurasian? Eurasian, but no, that's not the one. I, uh, Amerigoblin, sorry. Ameri yeah, yeah. These Amer are, I think Amerigoblins are slightly, a slightly yeah, different yeah. species, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's on the, yeah. on the way to Amerigoblin. Exactly. You are. At least the poor are, right? I think like the poor are on their way to being Amerigoblins. Like you, you do your job and then you go home, you swing by the grocery store, you get sugar cookies, and you just Netflix and chill. And that's all you do, and that's not what Matthew Arnold thinks you should be doing. So there's definitely a lot of paternalism in this, and like I mean, they don't even shy away from it. But um, you know, it seems like it's you know he's trying to reconcile things, he's trying to reform things, not like destroy everything I, and like steal everyone's money. I think yeah, and I think that whereas Karl Marx wants to make people, uh, you know, fish in the morning and work in the afternoon and criticize the night or whatever it is, like he. Uh, you know, Arnold is more about um, just making people understand the distinction between means and ends, and then let them kind of draw that conclusion, right? Like, I, I think, I think, I think he he then thinks that it'll it'll sort itself out then. Yeah, yeah, he definitely has he has plenty of room for yeah yeah like freedom basically. Yeah. We'll just say it's freedom, right? Whereas Karl Marx is like not not into that at all. <laughs> um so after that, after our friend uh, arnold um we get into a few chapters where it's kind of groups of people right mm -hmm. so we're, we're entering like the early 20th century um there's like a tree a trio of germans uh weber simmel and sombart so in like declining uh <laughs> appreciation of the market i guess maybe right <clears throat> but it's hey. next yeah go ahead and just to say that he talks he, he i'm surprised he didn't like uh, highlight this guy but he he kind of points out that the person who set the stage for the debate among these three is ferdinand tonys or tonys i don't know oh that's right yeah mm -hmm. uh who talked about the mine shaft and the gazelle shaft right mm -hmm. um uh the community versus the uh, society which you know he he i think was trying was pretending to be kind of just presenting this division and the tensions within it but really he was uh, a critic of of the market and, mm -hmm. and saying that we're giving up community for basically commercial society um yeah i thought that was that was an interesting i, I want to know more about I, I was left wanting to know more about tani's let's find his, his collected works let's do it <laughs> our next pick <laughs> our next pick what's his book 
community and yeah, that is the book community yeah. and society yeah yeah okay I'll, I'll i'll find a copy for you jerry <laughs> <laughs> so uh the rest of the chapter talks about weber that i think like every one of us went to school yeah. probably knows him right um protestant work ethic and his work on like bureaucracy and the then chapman of the world yep disenchantment of the world um yeah. and then uh, george simmel uh who i maybe had heard of but not really who also comes off as like a, a thoughtful i person that tries to like reconcile yeah of all the people here uh like he's one of the ones who like i'd never heard of and mm -hmm. um liked the most like yeah. I, like i i found him to be incredibly like reasonable and like yeah this speaks to me i i don't i think he's probably wrong a lot, a lot but sure uh, it speaks to me yeah Werner Sombart. <laughs> the no, less, less, right, less right, that right. guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That's <laughs> not what I would have thought. So yeah, to kind of round out the, uh, I guess it's a trio, even though there's four of them. Um, there's Sombart, who is uh, from from my old Mises days. Uh, he is like Ludwig von Mises's arch nemesis, basically. I see. Yeah. So he is like a he's a historicist. He is like a he was like a renowned scholar of like um, yeah, what is it? like economic history really mm -hmm. it's like you know like data in for like statistics that sort of thing like you know he's gonna like marx like i'm gonna like describe what is based on like the german steel industry that, that sort of thing but you know in addition to that incredibly anti-market uh as the the section of the chapter on him sombart blaming it on the jews that's pretty much it <laughs> uh just like a crazed anti-semite that occasionally talks about economics it seems and philosophy um to the point that but also like not a minor figure in germany like one of the most important one of the like the top thinkers um, of his day uh, i guess i guess he helped edit a journal like the most important german language journal on economics and like philosophy along with weber um but you know whenever his books came out everyone would be like it's interesting but you got everything wrong about the jews <laughs> like you just made it up it's not real <laughs> so but you know and I he think, got increasingly yeah increasingly agitated about that agitated yeah, yeah that's one word <laughs> uh just like an, basically an unhinged anti-semite that got like progressively worse um or more more anti-semitic i guess that's worse uh as time went on um yeah can, can yeah. we take a step back on on Simmel? Yeah, just to, uh, I want to just say that an insight that he had that um, uh, speaks to me, and I and I and I, and I liked, and it comes back later um, when we talk about Keynes, uh, is that owning money can actually be more satisfying than owning the things that you can buy with money. Yeah, that was interesting. That was very interesting, and it's it's just like I, I've always thought about the acquisition of money like just having a lot of money as acquisition of freedom in that it buys you optionality right like you don't have to you know i could work i can choose not to work i can choose to do this or that and you know it's that that choice is the value of having money you could swim um, it. you could well you could swim it. Yeah. um yeah so that's so i i'm like i guess what i'm saying is that i've had that that thought myself and it's so great to see that you know like this guy had put it um put it out and then Maynard Keynes obviously coming in hot saying how that is what causes the Great Depression <laughs> <laughs> right yeah I mean yeah <laughs> but as uh, I think he even uh 
Moeller points out that, what is it? Yeah, yeah. he says, it, it, um, if from the perspective of the present, symbols seem like the most modern of the turn of the century thinkers, and are more modern indeed than Lukas, Lukacs and Freyer are, are next two heroes, <laughs> it is because <laughs> fans' capitalism had become even more stamped by the forces upon which he fixed his gaze. So, you know, that, these three are really writing like in the thick of it. They're writing yeah. in Germany, which has become incredibly industrialized in a very short span of time. And not just that, it's also now, I guess, the most industrialized. Well, it's up there, right? Maybe per square inch or something. And it's an incredibly industrialized, like, I wouldn't say middle class, but uh, like when you think of Germany, like in 1900, I think of people like in suits and top hats walking around right like everywhere that's my vision of it uh if you think of like russia it's like people with like a haysicle <laughs> <laughs> or or something like that um so like that's their milieu and uh it's it's interesting like they all didn't agree with each other obviously sombard is like a completely different kettle of fish but like like the first two in their own kind of morose germanic way like made peace with with capitalism, but kind of for slightly different reasons, because they were both like arch. I guess all three were like super duper German nationalists, and supported the the war, World War One. Um, so it's just it's just again it's interesting. Like like Weber Weber is like a uh, he he just wants to build, right? <laughs> right? Like he wants to he believes in a strong nation, but he believes that capitalism and like free trade is the way you build a strong nation. Um, and Simmel is kind of like a little fruity tooty. A little, he's kind of like floating around, right? <laughs> <laughs> a little more, a little bit more uh, philosophical, like in his own head. Um, and Sombard is a, a rampaging anti-Semite, so whatever. Um, I guess we are going chapter by chapter, but you know, I, I think these thinkers are like more interesting to me than Keynes and Hayek. Yes, because you know we. I mean, that's just me, right? We've we've kind of heard it before. We've seen it before. There's there's more to get out of the book about them if you want, but it's to me these more minor figures. Um, yeah, yeah, the most interesting. Yeah, yeah. So and, and, want... and to and to me, the interesting stuff about like Hayek was the critique of Hayek that Mueller uh, levels right in his right. fear way. Um, yeah, I guess maybe quickly because we are kind of pushing We're it on time. Pushing. Uh, so Lukacs and Fryer are kind of a pair in a chapter that they're both intellectuals um, that are kind of led to embrace different kinds of totalitarianism, right? And they're, they're led mm -hmm. to embrace totalitarianism because they're, you know, in the aftermath of World War One, they kind of see the effects of, what the, of the market. Uh, they don't like it. And, uh, you know, so Lukacs embraces communism. He's, he's the guy who, like, you know, trust fund baby, yeah. thinks his parents' life is devoid of meaning thinks that meaningful life is impossible under modern condition, right? He, he just he just thinks about alienation and blah, 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 when he's actually incredibly comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, anyhow, and, and, and kind of presaging Marcuse a little bit, kind of tries to develop a theory of why the uh, proletariat hasn't revolted and it's all again, again, presaging Marcuse, following Marx. It's all a different kind, a different flavor of false consciousness, which is just so condescending and, and childish. <laughs> like, whatever. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, 
not to linger too much on it, yeah. but I mean, is this maybe like the first? So I mean, like the problem they these the Marxists have to confront is like, well, the workers haven't revolted, and they're actually like doing better than ever, and it seems perfectly fine yeah. with like liberal parliamentary democracy and a little bit of the welfare state, and having trade unions. Yeah, but that's just an illusion. They've been yeah. Suckered. So what's the answer to that? And it's mm. like, okay, um, oh, they're they're like totally not as smart as me. Essentially, it's, right? Yeah, yeah, that's stupid. It. <laughs> they're stupid i'm smart because my daddy paid me to go to like a gymnasium and i know greek uh i mean like when you strip and it I all hate down my dad. <laughs> i mean i hate you dad can you smuggle me out of hungary i killed another person yeah it's uh it's incredible i wonder what like happened to his family probably all murdered by uh, fryer and his friends uh um <laughs> so, so hans fryer um uh so what so he was part of the youth movement in germany yeah, so he's um, like a German hippie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then the war happens. He goes. Uh, so basically, he's a German hippie who's trying to find meaning. Yeah. Uh, 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 and he, World War One happens, and he he gets drafted or whatever, uh, or he signs up and he finds meaning in. Sure, he volunteered immediately. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so he finds meaning in in war, and so then he wants to basically just. To create a Nazi state that is predicated on continuous war, or at least a preparation for war, to give meaning to society. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't. Know but the but then he repented later in his life. Oh, yeah, after, after, <laughs> after the Nazis' law. I mean, at least he repented. Uh, I guess. Yeah. So, to, we'll get back to that in a little bit. But like, I don't know if the word is used here. But like, so the the the. The word totalitarian, I don't know yeah. if Mueller uses it, but like Fryer is talking about like a total state. Right. Uh, that's like uh, imperialistic and warmongering. <laughs> but <laughs> so it is like he is describing a totalitarian state. Uh, there's not any of that room for like anything that yeah. um, previous thinkers. Um, again, it's just a mirror image of a communist, right? It's. Um, but you know, without any of the like the language of, you know, all men coming together, right? Uh, he is a nationalist. Uh, one would say a national socialist, and uh, yeah, like he's very explicit about the need for. I mean, uh, what's the word? Uh, a Turkey, mm -hmm. yeah, right. Like the borders will be closed. We will not allow anything from the outside to uh, penetrate in and like change our amazing Volk that we got going on here. And oh, by the way, we're also just going to be invading everyone all the time because um, it's good for people to basically get riled up. <laughs> uh, it gives the meaning uh, and it gives the state uh, like vitality to just be constantly at war or at least preparing for war. But we're only preparing for war for war. We're not doing the whole prepare for peace by preparing for war. Like we're doing it to like invade you <laughs> and we will. So yeah, he's. Um, interesting i'm actually surprised they like the allies let people like this kind of live you'd think <laughs> they'd be like kind of poisoned or offed but maybe it's like you got bigger issues to think about after world war ii but um you know it like it, it, at the end of the chapter Mueller points out that friar frayer whatever um kind of repented or <laughs> he became disillusioned he became like, disillusioned which yeah, like it didn't work it didn't work yeah like it works great yeah you're upset you lost <laughs> Yeah. So, um, like, fair game to you, sir, for beating me, but I would have done it if I could have, which is like, okay, I guess that's fine. Um, not really, but 
on the other hand, it seems like Lukacs, I mean, <clears throat> was basically a Stalinist until the end. Yeah. I mean, there was like, be because he was Hungarian, he went back to Hungary after World War II and set up that beautiful system they had there. And, you know, in 1956, the Soviets invaded Hungary, right? Because they tried to like reform communism. And, you know, he was kind of, you know, <laughs> He was kind of for the reform, but I, you kind of get the impression he wasn't too upset that the Soviets like ran people over with tanks. So, and there's a quote here. It says, Lukacs insisted to the end of his days that, quote, the worst form of socialism was better to live in than the best form of capitalism. Yeah. So, you know, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I found that chapter kind of the most entertaining, you know, just for kind of train wreck yeah. purposes. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, and then we well we we fly through Schumpeter, Keynes, Hayek, Marcuse a little bit. Um, all have interesting things to say. <laughs> yeah, I like Schumpeter a lot. Yeah, that I, was interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, he's my fave. He's very sardonic. Mm -hmm. We could uh, read. Uh, we could read his book. Oh God, no, we can't. I uh, you tried. I tried once. Um, I had it. Uh, so I took an economics course in. Um, college that was taught by uh professor george uh who professor george is, was like like a million years old was it georgi uh kovach or whatever no he was a million years old he used to teach at the university of havana he's like he's like a real intellectual he used to teach at the university of havana until he was driven out uh came to miami was teaching at fiu and he would come to this is in miami he would come you know in his like wool three-piece suit right and he would teach to us like a bunch of like people who went through miami public schools so you can get a sense of what we were like uh, our textbook was um uh, socialism capitalism and democracy uh you know like jesus christ i love him though and he um he would be he would go uh, he would be a commentator on spanish language tv mm -hmm. um and he was like I mean, like, like, just plucked from nineteenth uh, century, and just dropped right there. He was great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyhow, um, I, I think I have that book on my shelf. I can't say I've read it. I've, I've, I've read. I've. <laughs> my eyes have gone over the words. Okay. Well, Jerry, it was assigned to you. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's only five, uh, it's only six hundred pages long too. Yeah. So you know. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, the the chapter on Schumpeter was great. Like he is, uh, yeah, I mean, he's like a rascal, like a, in history. Like he was just very funny, uh, like smart alecky. He's just, um, but also right. Like, oh sure, yes. Like elite theory and resentment and elite overproduction, right? And like how uh, the seeds of our destruction are being created by the mm -hmm. system. Like it's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. And the Mueller points out that like the reason, the reason he wrote the way he wrote, it was like very ironic is he was actually trying to get, um, socialists yeah. to, uh, like see the error of their ways. And he knew that like a frontal assault was never going to do it. So he tried to use irony to get, Wait, people... what do you mean? You, you mean writing a letter to the editor? That says, sir. Of, of Der Sturmer, yes. <laughs> sir, uh, Her, Her if, you draw, <laughs> if you draw a supply and demand curve here, clearly you will find that uh, gouging for electric generators after a storm 
Makes perfect rational sense. So hold on. Oh, hold on. There's someone at my door. Oh my God. It's a bunch of fucking guys in brown shirts, red shirts, and black shirts. <laughs> we got all the boys. We don't even know who's a commie. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, anyway, like yeah, great intellect. I wonder if there, there's probably a biography of him. But you know, I've heard like right. he had some famous quote about like something about how like how he's the best horseman marksman and lover in you know in austria hungary or something <laughs> it's, it's, he's a funny guy yeah and then we get the boring people like keynes and hayek so anyway yeah <laughs> but yeah keynes whatever uh hayek interesting that muller uh criticizes him for being totally myopic um so i don't know if you want to talk about that but that was great and marcuse was just like i this is the one that i think that had the same value for me that uh Fryer had for you or not Fryer, uh Lukacs had for you where i'm just like oh like how transparently stupid are you <laughs> i mean that's just that's that's ideology right that's ah. that's what it that's what it do to a man um do you know if if the um aesthetics books we were talking about has a chapter on him because oh, it I should I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that later. We'll even search control find control F. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there, maybe we read this later. Uh, there's a book by Paul Johnson, the late Paul Johnson called intellectuals, which mm -hmm. I did read. And it is all about, it kind of takes, it's like this book, except it's just way more mean spirited. <laughs> <laughs> so it talks about Marx basically having like, I don't know, goiters right. or, um, yeah, like intestinal problems. Like, like, like Marx had stomach problems, and that's why he was an asshole. Or like, Merc, like, like these French theorists were all like uh, pederasts, and that's why they're an asshole. So, like, he kind of goes through. It's called the intellectuals, and not in a positive way. He right. just goes through all these people through history, largely on the left, and it points out like they were ugly and mean, and Sartre had like bad breath and was a communist <laughs> and and a Nazi. It's very yeah. funny. We we could try to read it. Um, it's just very mean spirit. Yeah, but, um, but, I, but I bet it just kind of points out where resentment might come from. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, basically, it's like these people were all resentful and they had like uh, diarrhea all the time. And that's <laughs> why, like, it, some of it, it kind of reads like that. So, yeah. Um, anyway. All right. Well, so do we want to end it there? I think yeah. we've, we've done our duty. We have. So, it, needless to say, I think we both enjoyed it and would recommend it. Yeah, it's it is long. It's very dense, but you can read pretty much each uh, each chapter as like an independent little essay. He yeah. does a good job of linking them together, like they're not completely disassociated from themselves. And he has like a conclusion, like a college essay, which yeah. is like yeah. here's here's what I said over the last four hundred pages or so. But that was nice. It's like it's it's good. It's it's like a good little self study guide. I think. Yeah, here are the themes you may have noticed. <laughs> the intellectuals, blah blah yes. blah. The yeah, Jews, exactly. blah 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 blah. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the tension in capitalism, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. All right, Stanley. <clears throat> well, next time uh, it is my pick, "Beauty: A Very Short Introduction" by Sir Roger Scruton. Mm -hmm. um, maybe maybe we'll go to Scrutopia after after reading this. Maybe we'll do a live podcast at Scrutopia. I bought my tickets. You buy your tickets. Um, yeah, so uh, something different, I guess, maybe. Uh, I think it will be, yeah. All right. Stanley, see you next time. See you next time. Looking forward to it.